Hey everyone, welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straup, and earlier this week you heard about the 10 biggest fantasy winners coming out of the 2021 NFL Draft. Today, we turn our focus to the 10 biggest losers coming out of the draft. I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Denny Carter. And guys, first off, I just want to say I'm honored that when the topic turned to enormous losers, you all immediately thought of adding <laughs> me to the show. Very happy to be here. I, th- I thought of... I think of the line from Dumb and Dumber, man, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> so thank you. I, I'm I'm just happy to be back. You missed yeah. out on the positive show. You're tuning in for the <laughs> negative one now. I'm tuning in for a pretty awesome John Daigle. Uh, what do we call this? A Hawaiian shirt? That thing is spectacular. It's a Hawaiian shirt with a bunch of Ric Flair's wooing on it, if that makes <laughs> any sense at all to audio. Uh, quick story, though. We were doing draft reaction videos on the first round. You can go back on the site and look at them. And I'm actually kind of upset because not only did this shirt sneak into the Justin Fields video, which I feel like was the most important of that evening, but also no one even mentioned or noticed that I was doing my own bit. I was doing laughterbation. I changed outfits every (laughs) single video because I'm very uncomfortable doing reaction videos. I don't like sitting there in front of them and just like talking with myself. Um, Talking with y'all is just fine. But no one noticed anything. So if you want to go back and look at those videos, notice that I literally changed outfits every single time. You don't strike me as an outfit guy either. So you wouldn't you would normally think John Daigle's a lunch pail, one outfit type of worker, <laughs> not like J-Lo. It wasn't, it wasn't to um, like look at how many outfits I had. It was literally just because <laughs> I was so uncomfortable talking to myself that I just thought it'd be funny to do a bit. But I thought someone was going to get a laugh out of it. And now I have to unveil the joke, which isn't the point of jokes. John, let yeah. me tell you. Let me tell you something about bits. A lot of times, people don't get it. <laughs> sure. I, I, I'm experiencing this, but I, I, but I appreciate. I appreciate the the commitment. Deep well of experience, by the way, for Denny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many changes was that? It was only three. It was going to be four if Cowboys took Rashawn Slater, but instead they ruined their defense and drafted Micah Parsons. So here we are. All right. Well, let's get into the top 10 losers coming out of the NFL draft. Top 10 fantasy losers. Pathetic losers. Yeah, you left out the fantasy part. (laughs) One pathetic loser. No offense. None taken. Our list begins with a guy I think we've been worried about for a while now. I remember Daigle voiced some concern about this running back a while back, and that is what was the unquestioned fiefdom of James Robinson in the Jaguars' backfield. The Jags spent a first-round pick, 25th overall, on Travis Etienne. Urban Meyer has said he envisions Etienne as a third-down guy behind his one-two punch of Robinson and Carlos Hyde, which you have to love. Uh, uh-oh. Someone's, uh, a plane just flew over someone's house. Daigle, ultimately, how worried should we be about James Robinson, given what has happened? Of course, you come to the person who's house is being bombed by a plane right now uh (laughs) it's it's just unfortunate because it's not even a day two selections it came in the first round ill-advised at number 25 overall after robinson of course an undrafted free agent proved he can hang around with over 1400 yards from scrimmage uh handled 71 percent of the team's carries last year and five of six carries inside the five and i understand what Uh, Urban Meyer said, and that both Carlos Hyde and ETN will also be involved with Robinson as a rotation. I don't know so much. It's first round draft capital that is backing ETN. So I imagine that's the guy we're looking forward to here. And although Robinson proved himself, it seems like it spells end of days for him. 
It's weird because James Robinson's clearly a loser in this situation, a fantasy loser, I should say. Every time we say loser on the show, if we just remember the word fantasy is in front of it. But it feels like one of those situations where they're kind of all fantasy losers where Travis Etienne, I think, is ready right off the bat to handle a three-down roll in the NFL. And even if John says, even if it's kind of coach speak and Etienne does get to lead this backfield, I do believe to at least begin the year that there will be something of a committee and some people, you know, have wondered. Have there's been a few people truthing Etienne's few like real three down readiness, but I, he is someone who could have handled that role, and now he doesn't need to be forced into that role. Mm. And you know, why would he be forced in that role after James Robinson showed so well? Not just in early downs last year, but also third down. They can like, ease. Maybe they saw what happened with Clyde Edwards Hilaire last year. Where you're clearly not ready for a three down role. Maybe they'll ease Travis Etienne into this role, but just very unfortunate because. You win the lottery. Basically, if you get an undrafted starter at any position, even if it's replaceable, like running back, you've like won the lottery. Uh, and the Jags did that and then turn around and invest first-round capital. And right. I am also now being bombed by the Germans, by the way, a plane flying over my house. But uh, just a strange situation <laughs> all around. Not surprising at all from a college guy turning coach. Urban Meyer, they are obsessed with making these kind of moves as, as young head coach. Young NFL. Young in the NFL sense of head coaching. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say, uh, just for clarification, John said it's the end of days for James Robinson. I believe he will survive uh, this, <laughs> you know, on, on the on the mortal coil here. But um, yeah, he was being drafted before before the NFL draft as an RB one in best ball leagues. Uh, a season after, by any measure, everything fell into place as perfectly as you could have hoped for for a running back, an undrafted free agent like like Robinson. And, you know, he was among the, the league leaders in, uh, uh, in snaps and backfield touches. Every, uh, you know, measurement you, you could use, he was uh, a legit workhorse. Was that going to hold up? Of course it was not. It was never going to hold up. Uh, and I, I do see a lot of James Robinson truthers who, you know, rightfully were excited about, about getting a guy out of nowhere who, who produced for them pretty much throughout the 2020 season. Uh, trying to make themselves feel a little better about the situation. It's it's bad. I had to tell someone on Twitter the other day, it's over. Like, it's over for your guy. Uh, I mean, barring, you know, barring an, an ETN uh, uh, injury. But he's fallen, since the draft, he's fallen into the fourth round, talking about James Robinson. He's going at RB19. That's probably still too high for the kind of usage he's likely to see this year. I, I would not personally be interested until he gets to like the sixth round or later. If you go all the way back, you don't have to, to week 17 waiver wire, which is a thing that exists because my boss tells me to write it. And I always do waiver wire awards. James Robinson was the winner, but my last sentence I wrote underneath that blurb was he's still a likely fade in 2021 because mm-hmm. we're trying to draft in buckets and the bucket of undrafted free agent who is successful, but then continues a long career in the NFL does not exist. Thus we are moving on from him. And it just so happens that we're moving on from him now. Strangely, I was just reading the week 17 waiver wire column this morning. Just, I, I go back <laughs> yeah, you're shouting in value, John. And on the behalf of Ed Williams, uh, John, you're fired. <laughs> Second on our list is Patriots incumbent QB Cam Newton. Now, as we know, the Pats drafted, <clears throat> excuse me, Mac Jones 15th overall. Bill Belichick has said Newton is still the starter, which of course he's going to say that right now. But Pat, what do we think the realistic landscape is here for Newton? Is there going to be any kind of runway at all for him as the season gets going? 
Yeah, this pick was extra bad news for Cam Newton because we kind of expected a quarterback to be added by the Patriots. But to me, it's extra bad because they are not stylistically similar. So I feel like the Pats will have a lot of incentive to go in the season, like setting it up. Even Bill Belichick, who's the kind of coach you might not think will force a rookie into the lineup. Uh, like I think they're going to have extra incentive to just get Mac Jones out there and ready week one. They're, they're going to be running a run heavy offense regardless, but Mac Jones of course is not a dual threat. He's barely even a single threat. And I just think that w- rather than have some like clunky transition from dual threat Cam Newton to Mac Jones after like three or four weeks, a month or whatever, that the Patriots are going to be feeling like extra pressure to just get Mac Jones out there so they're not like changing gears completely on their offense midseason. And it's Cam Newton, when he resigned, we know was not expecting to start all 16 games. But I think his odds of starting zero games got a lot higher uh, when Mac Jones was the pick. And Cam is just now firmly in like that extra coach, number two quarterback phase of his career. I don't know how Josh McDaniel and everybody with New England is going to create like two offenses for, for their quarterbacks to run. So I'm thinking that Mac Jones is probably just going to go into the season as the starter. It'll probably still be a run heavy offense, but of course, you know, the, the biggest fantasy swing here is that Cam Newton uh, has served as his team's goal line back every, everywhere he's gone every, every season of his career. So that's not the case with Mac Jones, obviously that opens up a lot of touchdown opportunity for whoever gets that early down banger role for for New England, whether it's Harris or Sony Michelle, if he's on the team or the rookie Stevenson. I they wouldn't all- dare go Mac. They would. Sorry, sorry, Diggle. They wouldn't dare go Cam Newton goal line package, would they? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, there there it is. I would argue that the offense, I don't think changes much, honestly. Uh, There weren't that many design runs so much as it was, like Denny said, Cam Newton just taking over the offense inside the 10-yard line. So, but, uh, well, but the best case scenario is that Newton is the team's week one starter with the world's shortest leash. And the worst case scenario is that Mac Jones starts week one. So, obviously, a loser for fantasy here. You guys talked about Tua Tungo-Vailoa as a winner on our last episode because of the arrival of, you know, game-breaking receiving threat in Jalen Waddell, as well as Will Fuller. But there is some collateral damage to Devontae Parker and maybe Preston Williams with a much more crowded receiving room now. Danny, how damaged is Parker's role in the aftermath of all of this? I mean, it's bad. You know, the, the, the splits last year for Parker between Tua and Fitzpatrick are pretty horrifying the target <laughs> stayed stable actually he averaged about seven per game with both quarterbacks last season but the produ- production dropped way off with Tua Parker averaged 32 fewer yards per game with Tua and two fewer receptions per game you know he was the wide receiver 52 in the second half of the season uh it, it's not like he was lighting the world on fire before that in the first half he was a wide receiver 32 in the first half but you know his ADP reflects that you know, he's probably the wide receiver three on his own team now, maybe generously at this point. Uh, he's being drafted a wide receiver 49 in the 12th round. So it's hard. It's hard to sit there and say you can't draft this guy in the 12th round. I mean, it's 12th round, you know, but he he certainly cannot be drafted in normal size leagues with a drafter thinking that they can use him in their lineup at, at any point, barring, you know, uh, barring injuries to you know Will Fuller. Uh, or that's never happened. Right, that's never. It's true. It's true. It's it would be the first time, um, or other receivers in that in, in that offense. So Waddle, obviously, 
so his, you know, I think people are onto it. You know, they're not, nobody's going to draft Devonte Parker like they did last season. And when he got his four-year contract extension at the end of 2019, their narrative was that he finally blossomed. But the fact is he got it working with Ryan Fitzpatrick without Preston Williams, who tore his ACL mid-year, and then Mike Jasicki was still developing as more of a slot-receiving hybrid tight end. Um, Parker still hasn't exceeded at 800 receiving yards in five other seasons with Miami, and now just doesn't offer the same explosive skill set that both Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle do shallow and down the field. So he's the low man on the totem pole. And John hit the nail on the head. Like So much of Devontae's breakout over the past two years was about just everyone else who was hurt. It wasn't just Preston Williams, you know, got hurt in 2019. He got hurt again in 2020. The Dolphins wide receiver room was kind of like a fallout zone, like this one injury after another. And where Devontae took advantage of that in 2019, he didn't really take advantage of it. Last year's Denny mentioned with the wide receiver 52 finish, because he was kind of always playing banged up, which has been a theme throughout his career. I mean, it's good. He's like a warrior. He goes out there, but he, He's for some reason, maybe he's just so big, he just takes a big physical beating because he's such a big target that he's never seemingly close to 100% health. And now we, the Dolphins have never had a deep receiver room uh, during the rise of Devontae Parker. They finally do have that. And both the big free agent addition and a draft, you know, top six draft capital, right? Yeah, every indicator light on Devontae Parker mm-hmm. is blinking red. He He could have you know, staved some of this off if he had built on his 2019 uh, breakout last season. But instead, like John said, he kind of just reverted to pre-Preston Williams injury Devontae Parker. And it's kind of just a replacement level guy on the outside. So Parker survived what you refer to as the fallout zone, Pat, but it sounds like we're comfortable calling this end of days for his <laughs> fantasy value. A lot of apocalyptic imagery today. I mean, this is, yeah. this is, this it is, this is life and death fantasy football. It's just kind of the end of the world here. So... Number four on our list is just broadly speaking, the Colts offense. Uh, Indianapolis went defense with their first two picks, added a fourth round tight end in Kylan Granson out of SMU, a seventh round wide receiver, really the only substantial, if you'd even call him that, additions on offense, and we probably wouldn't call him that. So Daigle, what does this mean for the Colts and Carson Wentz moving forward? I put this one on the list, so allow me to explain, and then we can kick to Denny and Pat about Jonathan Taylor's outlook. But if you zoom out even before the draft, this offseason is not one that instills confidence that the Colts, who are still AFC South favorites, depending what book you look at, can actually compete deep into the AFC postseason after they got lucky and drawing the league's easiest schedule of opposing defenses just last year. You go down the list of what the front office has done this offseason, re-signing T.Y. Hilton and Marla Mack, who only impede the development explosiveness that Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor bring to the table as second-round players as they continue to develop. They traded for a lost soul under center in Carson Wentz. They avoided the black hole at left tackle that would comfort said lost soul's blindside. And then they drafted an undersized pass rusher who failed to make an impact in the Big Ten at a position of immediate need because the team just lost Justin Houston and Danico Autry in free agency. And then, of course, like you said, Matt, added a receiving tight end when they already have that in Jack Doyle and Moali Cox. So it just when you look at it, they did not improve at any unit. And that's a big issue because <clears throat> although we make fun of the Jaguars and Titans offseason, this division is up for grabs by anyone but the Texans who we'll talk about later. So to just not really whiff on everything is concerning in my opinion. Most importantly, I, I would add to John's list of uh, of Colts misses. 
they're bringing in kickers to challenge Rodrigo <laughs> Blankenship. Oh no! You know, but I, I, what it, what's that? I'm I'm perturbed by, by this. The Eddie number Cook. of mentions, by the way, whenever that blurb got sent out, everyone <laughs> knew it was Denny. No one else would have written about it. No, Eddie Panero, come on, give me a break. Uh, yeah, no, John's John's right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's suspect. Let's call it suspect. Um, I I am always sort of intrigued by any tight end on a Frank in a Frank rank offense, because you know, the potential is there for really nice usage. The thing is though, we only see that usage shift to one person when there are injuries in the, in the tight end group. So like for instance, Mo Ali Cox had one usable fantasy game last year, and that's when Jack Doyle and Trey Burton were out and he got, yeah, I think six or seven targets and made the most of it. So this is a really long way of saying that, I, I will keep my eye on the tight end situation in Indianapolis, but uh, overall the offense looks like one. You, I don't know. You don't want to attack the Colts offense in your drafts. You don't want to stack Colts. I just don't see the upside of that. Two things. Denny just reminded me, I should look up what team Trey Burton is on now. Uh, Cause I think he's still in the NFL. No team. Maybe he's still in free agency. Wow. That's, yeah, That's he's kind of crazy. Uh, man, talk about one of the, the biggest like hype bust free agents ever. He was yeah. so hyped by all of us. Uh, the second thing is the Colts, you guys are missing the larger point. The Colts are taking the galaxy brain view of Carson Wentz where the worse his weapons are, the better he plays. <laughs> and so they didn't want to get anyone who's too obvious of an upgrade for Carson. No, I, I agree with John. Like the Colt, they put up the Colts are accepting like too many in limbo situations from very important skill spots. We have T.Y. Hilton in obvious decline. Paris Campbell who's had some promise, but still has not, you know, he, he hasn't put it on film yet. We have too many injuries, like there's too many question marks with Paris Campbell. Zach Pascal is just a guy. We all love Michael Pittman, but even his rookie season is kind of one of stops and starts because of injury. And yeah, just, uh, Carson Wentz, a guy who is proving to not be an elevator and someone who definitely needs to be elevated himself. No one has been added to help in that mission. And the Colts are all in on Frank Reich being able to fix Carson Wentz. And Mm -hmm. that's a dangerous game to play when you're relying on a coach to fix what a player is physically doing on the field. It so often just does not work. And we're still drafting Taylor, clearly, but I would say this offseason is enough to perhaps move Cam Akers and a couple others over him in a jumbled RB6 through 12. Yeah, I was going to say, how much did the, you mentioned the return of Marlon Mack to that backfield, Daigle, given how involved he was before his Achilles injury? Like, how much of a factor do you think he's going to be cutting into Taylor's value potentially? Logically, he would not be, but since it's Frank Reich who always goes back to his friends, uh, I am concerned that it's going to be just enough to be annoying. And like I said, yeah. we're, we're going to have Zeke, Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, like touch soakers uh, mm-hmm. in that in that back end range who are going to likely out touch Taylor. And so it's a very tough choice of where to slot him. Well, next up, we look to the Broncos who traded up to take UNC running back Javante Williams, 35th overall. We can debate whether that was a good idea to trade up to take a running a second round running back, but either way, Williams we know is a dynamic back, clearly going to have a significant role. That makes Melvin Gordon a loser in some fashion. Pat, how much of a loser, fantasy loser, is he? Yeah, emphasis on fantasy loser. Well, the good news for Melvin Gordon is his contract; he basically can't be cut. Uh, it wouldn't just make financial sense to the Broncos. They could do; they could be like a cut your losses cut, but financially, it wouldn't make sense to cut Melvin Gordon so his roster spot should be secure. But 
Uh, we know now an extension is not coming. And we know now when a new GM comes in, one of the easiest positions to put your stamp on is running back because it's like a one player swap out position. And like, yeah, if you're a running back and the G- new GM comes in, one of the first things he does is trade up for a running back uh, in the second mm-hmm. round. That is, uh, you may be uh, I'm trying to think of what's the equivalent of you may be a redneck uh, for a running back getting replaced, but that may be happening with Melvin Gordon here. And, you know, Javante Williams can contribute on all three downs. There's like no safe harbor really for Melvin Gordon this year. So this is as bad as it looks for Melvin Gordon, basically. There's nothing really positive for him to cling to in this situation because he was part of a two man backfield last year, but it was a player the Broncos were clearly out on. And now again, we are literally trading up in the yeah. second round for a running back. It's very no way to sugarcoat it. I uh, am confused by Javante Williams' ADP, which last I checked was in the uh, bottom of the fourth round, top of the fifth round. Really? Yeah, I, yeah. On uh, uh, I think you're in Broncos only leagues, didn't no, you? No, 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 no. He was. I'm telling no because because even before he was drafted, he was going in like the sixth or seventh. I. I I think that number was fair because he does have a three down profile and was rumored to go in the first round, which would launch his ADP two rounds higher, but right. to still be drafted in that range with Melvin Gordon still clearly there. Uh, yeah. That's confusing. I, I, yeah, I feel, I feel like uh, you're, if you're drafting him there, it's with the idea that he will eventually overtake Gordon as the 60, 40 back in that backfield and not the other way around. The Broncos clearly want to run the ball. And this is, Obviously, under the assumption that Aaron Rodgers will not be under center for, for Denver. If that happens, obviously, everything we're talking about changes. Uh, but, you know, last year, they, they really wanted to run the ball. They had, I think, the sixth highest neutral rush rate in the league. So they want to establish badly. And so if one of these guys gets dinged up in the, you know, in the summer or during the season, then the other guy will, will definitely emerge as, as a workhorse type back. Uh, I guess M- Mike Boone's season will last to 30 days. Um, that is, that is over uh, to my chagrin. Uh, but, but I, I, I do think that both Gordon and Williams somehow are, they're both being overdrafted right now. Gordon averaged 20.8 touches in the five games. Philip Lindsay missed and only 14.3 and 10 surrounding games with Lindsay, which means we have to assume the latter workload since Denver did trade up to add Javante Williams. Good point. Kendall Hinton is my big sleeper in Broncos only leagues, by the way. <laughs> I, I still feel bad for two guys here. Kendall Hinton, who just – he didn't ask for this. The whole room got COVID. He got thrown <laughs> out there for nine attempts. Was it nine? And then he completed just one of them? Whatever the case. He had more like, interceptions nine, think, than yeah. completions. Uh, he, he got benched at Wake Forest as, when he was a quarterback. Like, this is not what he was meant to do in life. Also, Melvin Gordon, to, to Pat's point, emphasis on loser just in fantasy because for as much grief as Melvin Gordon, Jamal Williams as well, get as fantasy players, like, if you listen to their interviews, they're actually two of the most fun guys in the entire league. And yeah. they also have, like, sacrificed their bodies. Like, they've taken, yeah. like, big workloads, like, punishing thankless roles. Um, but I don't feel bad for Kendall Hinton. But did you know who Kendall Hinton was before this? Anybody? And now he'll, true. For, he'll forever be. He'll get to like sign, you know, pictures and like trading cards. Mm-hmm. Like I was the guy. I was the COVID guy. And uh, so it's actually quite a boon for him. He's he's a pub quiz answer for the rest of his yeah, life. He is. Yeah, COVID QB. Yes. <laughs> want to quickly remind you our premium product subscriptions at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports so you can get access to NBA, NHL, and MLB premium products under one umbrella 
for 10% off any subscription and enter the promo code GOOD10. As we get into our, the second half of our top 10 losers coming out of the draft, Daigle sent out a proposed list to the group before we sat down to do this. And number six on the list is just the word Hollywood. And <laughs> maybe this is just me, but I got a kick out of the idea that somehow the film industry loses out because of the picks that were made in this draft. I, I do I do think Hollywood, California is like one of the most underwhelming cities of our lifetime. And people like save up for their entire lives to see it and get there. And it's just scorching asphalt with people in costumes. It's a terrible place to be. <laughs> wow. Strong, strong take. But I love it. we were talking about Marquise Brown, of course, who lost the Hollywood moniker to Rashad Higgins, who was the better player last year. Uh-oh. And it's just because although Brown still fills in <clears throat> as the primary slot receiver, especially now that Willie Sneed is gone, you have alphas, potential alphas in Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace as long with Miles Boykin, who has never put it together, but had profiles like Julio Jones, athletically at least, on the outside. And so, in my opinion, it's just more actual competition that's going to take away when all we were doing was hinging on volume above all else for Marquise previously. And two, like, so first off, whenever you're a first-round wide receiver and your team goes back to that position two years later, Obviously a very bad sign. And just the kind of receiver they took, it's like an omission that the way they're trying to do their passing offense isn't working to me. And like maybe actually trying to get hit more like deep sideline targets and maybe they actually can't do that. Maybe Lamar Jackson just isn't capable of doing that. But not only was it like we need help at your position, like the fact – I guess the fact that stylistically different player could almost be good because like maybe they could feed off each other. But to me it could also be viewed as – well, what we're trying to do, Hollywood isn't working. We need to try like a different approach with the offense. Maybe that will help unlock Hollywood Brown. Because there's a, been so much asked of Hollywood Brown. You know, like a smaller guy uh, in an offense with a quarterback who's not like the world's greatest pure passer. So maybe in some ways he's been like set up to fail and there were just way too high expectations. Maybe he'll benefit from having the help. But yeah, and yeah. also just kind of – this does seem like a referendum on the two years of the Hollywood experience. I uh, I had to say that uh, li- living up to the nickname Hollywood must be difficult. Uh, it must be difficult in and of itself. I feel like if you get that nickname, uh, you have almost no chance to live up to people's expectations. So that that's that's one thing about that. It's a terrible place, according to Daigle. There should be no expectations <laughs> for Hollywood. Right. Well, the, you know, D- Daigle Daigle's hated Hollywood for years. So that's. Um, <laughs> So, you know, Marquise Brown dominated targets for the Ravens last year. 25.5% target share led the the team. It was the only pass catcher uh, in Baltimore to see 100 targets. He did all that, and he finished as a wide receiver three in 12-team format. Quite a problem. Right. Uh, You know, last year he was drafted in the fifth and sixth round, sometimes as a fantasy wide receiver one or two, depending on how people built their teams, thinking that they could kind of cheat and get away with him as a a, a replacement for guys going two, three rounds uh, ahead of him. That didn't work out, as we know. Consequently, he's now going in the 10th or 11th round of drafts. And so my take on Marquise Brown this year is that he's going where he probably should be going. He should have been going this whole time. Uh, will Rashad Bateman jump him in ADP for sure? It just depends on by how much in seasonal leagues. The Ravens, you know, the, the Greg Roman talked this week about, you know, we're going to show you some things this year that we haven't shown in the past. I, I know it's all talk right now. Everything's all talk. Uh, but the I think the hope is still alive, if just barely, that the Ravens will at least try to run a slightly more balanced offense in 2021. Will that work? I 
I don't know. I, I kind of doubt it. Um, but a, a, a slight increase in target volume, Bateman uh, becoming the alpha wide receiver one in that offense. I actually think those are good things for Brown. And I might end up with more Hollywood Brown exposure this year. I mean, far, far more this year than I did last year because I thought he was insanely expensive in redraft leagues. Denny people, never likes players till they're terrible. Um, that's right. People are going to defend Hollywood because it has Roscoe's chicken and waffles, but one, there's one in Inglewood, <laughs> and two, the one in Inglewood is the one Obama visited. So go to that one instead. Oh, no, no politics on that. John is stewing about the Hollywood thing the entire. I love it. Denny had like a very long, like detailed response about Marquise Brown, and John (laughs) dove bomb in with back to the Hollywood take. And I saw Daigle waiting in the weeds. Like, like it looked like he had just been looking something up. So I was like, "Oh, he's got a really good football counterpoint here." He just came came back. I love it. So hard to park. (laughs) So hard to park. Sorry. Real quick, before we move on from the Ravens, like I just want to ask: Do you guys think? Is it fair to call Rashad Bateman a loser just for having landed in Baltimore? I think it's overstated a bit because uh, there's still, I mean, like, uh, even though it's an offense with low passing volume, they were giving it to such low quality targets last year beyond Mark Andrews. You can kind of maybe even lump Marquise Brown into there. And uh, even though the volume is so low, like, there's room for growth in just terms of like the quality and outcome of these targets. And Rashad Bateman is a very, very good player, in my opinion. And, like he could just be getting, it might be like lower volume at some other place. But it could end up just like the right kind of volume. And you would have liked to see, you like to see any good receiver end up in a pure passing offense. But I think that it, that can be getting overstated how bad this landing spot is for Rashad Bateman. It's not an ideal situation. I just struggle to see who wins among this offense outside of Lamar Jackson. I actually think Bateman has a much better chance of being overdrafted and overvalued this year than Brown does. That's my Mm. take as of May. Sitting number seven, the 49ers draft pick we'll always remember from this draft is obviously Trey Lance. But I don't think we should look past, well, I know we shouldn't because it's on our list, what they did Mm. in the third round, trading up to 88th overall to take a running back. That would be Trey Sermon, the earliest that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have drafted one with 49ers. Pat, we have now a third viable running back in San Francisco over three, Mostert and Jeff Wilson, not to mention Wayne Gallman and star of some future random Thursday night, Jamichael Hasty. So how much of a mess is this thing truly? I mean, who could you draft and trust here? Yeah, it's a mess. And that might be something for Denny to sort out because he likes the more Denny's favorite backfield. This one that has like eight running backs in it. <laughs> like somehow the first team to ever keep eight running backs. Denny's like, this is the greatest thing <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. But in mean, Trey Sermon was a trade up. So, you know, you always like that extra stamp of approval. Bad news to the rest of the 49ers running backs. Uh, obviously, he's a scheme fit for Kyle Shanahan's you know, amazing zone attack. And uh, they're not trading up for someone who's not a scheme fit obviously, but like a lot of signs pointing in Trey Sermon's favor. And Raheem Mostert, who was so good down the stretch of the Super Bowl season, kind of flopped his one big chance last year. Jeff Wilson is still kind of just the guy. Jermichael Hasty was loved by the fantasy community, but there's still no indication that he's going to be anything more than just a guy. And But there's no indication. Yeah, Trey Sermon's not going to come in as like clear the field, of course. But So I think his arrival is bad news, of course, for everyone else there. But it it's going to eventually be a good landing spot for Trey Sermon, but there were lots of other places where Trey Sermon could have probably had a a greater 2021 redraft impact than he is in this very jumbled, almost certainly still committed backfield. 
I think he's going to make an impact at some point, but pinpointing when that is will likely result in him being overdrafted as everyone assumes he's going to be the starter. Uh, We've talked about it in the past. Raheem Mostert was treated through five games as a starter, continued getting injured. When he was out, Jeff Wilson took over, ran all over the Patriots, got injured. Both come back. They split the backfield over their next four available games together. Now we add another running back to those Shanahanigans. And so – all will be viable at some point, but they're losers because for fantasy because I don't think we'll be able to pick when outside of two of them being injured in one given week. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it'll come down to is if one of these running backs is not healthy going into the season, that will you know help us kind of eliminate one of the three. I, I see myself, and Pat's right, you know, the, the more uncertainty in the backfield, the more interested I am. It's, it's, a, it's a, a sickness. It's been diagnosed. Um, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in treatment. But the, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I, allow, I lost my chance. Right. Denny's not I used went, to someone laughing at him. So. I, I went with the joke so hard that I, <laughs> that I completely forgot what we were talking about. Um, you know, I can see myself drafting whoever is going last among these running backs. Not 100% you know, certain that I'm going to do that, but let's, let's put it this way. If it's like Mostert going in the middle rounds and then Sermon and then Wilson going in the latter half of the draft, I'm going to have more of the, of, you know, Wilson and, and, and Sermon. Uh, so I, I think if you are doing zero RB or anything like it this year, you have to f- focus on a few backfields, uh, including the Niners, uh, the Patriots, and to you know, to a lesser extent, like the Jets, uh, I think that you know, th- there's a ton of uncertainty and probably half a dozen backfields right now that you can take advantage of if you're paying close enough attention. Ambiguity is good for fantasy. Yes, it is. It is. I've got Denny pegged for upwards of thirty shares of Wayne Gallman this upcoming <laughs> season. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> the Jets got a really intriguing wide receiver in Elijah Moore, a player they took with a 34th overall pick, profiles as mainly a slot receiver, and we think this is potentially wretched news for Jamison Crowder. Denny, is there a chance this is mm-hmm. so wretched that the Jets might even cut Crowder, which has been talked about as a possibility even before the Elijah Moore pick? Would you go that far? Yeah, I, from what I understand, the Jets would have to wait until June to make that move in order to save the maximum amount of money um, uh, against the cap. Uh, John, does that, does that sound right to you? Yes. And very, very quickly, what Mm -hmm. everyone asks, how does this make sense? Um, But remember the proposed rule and 80 man rosters for camp is going to force quote unquote, tough decisions by teams to pick up excess day three capital for next year, or just Mm -hmm. to, to, to cut for extra roster cap space. So I think the jets are going to have their hands forced and just moving on from Crowder. Right. So uh, the best thing for fantasy is for Crowder to get out of New York, uh, to go to a team that doesn't preferably have like a, like an alpha wide receiver, one guy who's dominating targets uh, somewhere where he can see the kind of target volume that, uh, you know, that he has been very productive with, you know, last year. Uh, no one remembers this. Uh, He's the and best I, I was, player in Jets history. I'm just going to say, it, Jameson it, Crowder. He could be. He was the wide receiver seven in points per game in the first half of 2020. It was a top. It was a top ten guy. Um, so, I won't let you talk about Matt Forte that way, Pat. But, oh, jeez, uh, yeah. allow it. Uh, you know, so uh, hopefully he finds his way to like the Lions or something, and and we can we can draft him in PPR and and have him be a cheat code for us, like. Like he was through through parts of last year. Um, I 
have sort of unwillingly turned into a Jameson Crowder truth. Oh my God. I know. I know. It's Denny, terrible. I mean, okay, never mind. No, it makes it's... sense. You're looking for the, the vulnerabilities, the soft spots in ADP. <laughs> but at some point, you do have to draft actually good players or actually good situations, you know. I, uh, you can... hey, Crowder pairs great with a Gallman. <laughs> pair, pair the Crowder with the Gallman and you got something. Yeah. Pat, you cannot make me draft good players if I don't want to. <laughs> it's, this, is, this is the United States. Uh, that's my right. But uh, yeah, so let, let's let's root for Crowder to get to Detroit or someplace with a bunch of terrible wide receivers. Wayne Corbett, Lavernius Cole are offended that you called Crowder the best <laughs> Jets player. Also, he has benefited as Sam Darnold's favorite target whenever Darnold was under center the past two seasons. And he's a very good slot receiver. But if you if you just ask what would happen if he was more explosive, he would become Elijah Moore. That's why he, (laughs) that's why he becomes expendable, especially as they start a new era under Zach Wilson. So I think the writing is on the wall and much like how for best ball tournaments, not 12 man leagues, but for deep GPP styles, we should assume Trey Lance starts 17 games to get an edge over everyone else. We should assume that Jameson Crowder has already been cut when drafting. Two quick things. People who don't know, the reason Denny moved is to build an extra wing in his house for Wayne Gallman, Matt. So you were on to something. <laughs> and I figured it out. The Jeff Foxworthy is you may be a fantasy loser if you're a slot receiver and your team uses a top 35 pick on a slot receiver. Oh, uh, not usually a good sign. Uh, you can't usually survive that if you're a slot receiver, especially because they are so set on the outside, too, with Corey Davis and Denzel Mims. It could be via a trade. But as John said, you should just be planning as if Jameson Crowder is no longer on the Jets. Thank God we got the completion of that Jeff Foxworthy bit. Yes. I, was, <laughs> I was not whole as a person. Edge of my that. seat the last hour. Yep. <laughs> you know, Hayden, you know, too, is just like, when will they ever talk about Jeff Foxworthy? All the mm-hmm. Zoomers are like, please make a Jeff Foxworthy <laughs> reference uh, on the podcast. Uh, I, I also want to just uh, clarify something. The the wing on my house is actually for Gus Edwards. Okay. Not <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah. He's in the area, too. He so. is. He's down the street. On our last episode, I wasn't here for it, but you guys discussed how the arrival of Jamar Chase was good news for Joe Burrow. You also mentioned that it was bad news for T. Higgins. Higgins coming off, obviously, that really solid rookie year, over 900 receiving yards and six touchdowns. If you like the player, which I think most of us or all of us do, is there any way, Pat, to salvage a bit of optimism for Higgins' outlook, or is it all pretty much doom and gloom? Yeah, the optimism could be that he gets overfaded because he's a really good player who had a really good rookie season. You just have to make sure you have tempered expectations. We're now like a good season for T. Higgins at this point now, this season and kind of indefinitely, is going to look like a vintage Marvin Jones season probably where he's right around a thousand yards. He's kind of touchdown dependent in fantasy, you know, probably better and more standard scoring half PPR leagues than PPR. Someone who we, we could have uh, done much bigger things had the best receiver prospect of the past five or six years, not ended up there, but someone who's not suddenly a bad player. So you just make sure you adjust expectation, which of course we're all doing and just monitor if the ADP gets faded too far. Like if he's suddenly, you know, it's like not even really going as like a wide receiver three. I don't know if that will happen. I don't really know what the early ADP ripples with T Higgins have been, but he can still be a very valuable player. Just the way, the way I'm viewing it is yeah. Like one of his Bengals predecessors, T Higgins is kind of now just in the Marvin Jones zone to me. He, the saving grace will be his skill set downfield. He has the highest a dot, 
of remaining Bengals receivers on last year's rosters. He had 11 fewer targets than Tyler Boyd and Joe Burrow's 10 full starts, but 22 fewer receptions because his targets were harder to catch because he was the downfield threat. So the splash plays will make him pop up as a salivating double stack with Burrow for best ball leagues, but obviously the production dips now because Chase arrives as the alpha. John, you just described Marvin Jones, by the way. We are on, right. we are yeah. on the same page. <laughs> I think it's a great comp, honestly, boss. Uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, I, think, I think Higgins uh, will be very frustrating uh, for fantasy in that he's going to give you a monster week one week, you know, like the Marvin Jones experience. Marvin <laughs> yeah. Jones either scores zero touchdowns or four touchdowns, nothing in between. And, you know, we're going to probably see that with the way that T. Higgins is used. So... You can't possibly be drafting him as your wide receiver two, probably not even wide receiver three at this point. But we have to remember there are a lot of vacated targets from AJ Green, and that I think that weighs heavily on you know the distribution of targets uh, among these these three Bengals receivers in Chase Boyd and and Higgins. So I think that those those vacated targets may make me pump the brakes a little bit on fading Higgins completely, but I'm a, I'm a little bit tepid. Marvin Jones has two career four touchdown games, by the way. Incredible. Not just one, two. I would like to report that I've never had DFS exposure to him in either of those games. <laughs> you know, I, before the show, I bet number of Marvin Jones mentions at 1.5, we absolutely smashed it. <laughs> I think it felt like a risky bet, but, but it's really paying off. Lastly, number 10, quite simply, it's the Houston Texans on the whole. Their first pick was a third rounder. They spent it on quarterback Davis Mills out of Stanford. You can argue, if you want to, that they took an intriguing wide receiver in Nico Collins out of Michigan in the third round, but I don't think it's worth it. Uh, Daigle, you get the honors here. How did things somehow seem to get more bleak for Houston after the draft? This goes beyond fantasy. Remove that label. The Texans and the people at the top are just losers in life. Traded a sixth-round pick for Ryan Finley prior to the draft. When you can't cut it as the Bengals' third-string quarterback, you know there's an issue there. But rather than allowing them to release him, they just gifted a pick as a rebuilding organization. And then, of course, drafted Davis Mills the first time they were on the clock all weekend in the third round, adding another quarterback to that uncertain room and then sacrificing a fifth rounder on Saturday and 2022 fourth round pick to climb 20 spots for Nico Collins, who I believe is a great prospect, but also again, rebuilding organization. These are not the type of moves you're trying to make. And thus they enter 2022 with just one pick in every round and everyone's excited. Like that seems like a win. They now get to draft once in every single round, but that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to obviously accumulate more draft picks to make your team that needs one player at every single unit of the field for the next like four years to even be relevant. So until they get relegated or just removed from the league, it's a laughing stock for a city and group of fans that are actually like proud and ooze culture among that entire town. It's a, it's abysmal and a disgrace. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) (laughs) Hollywood or the Texans? Which one? I loved it. That was the highest quality rant we've had on the show. That was good. In a long time. But I'm glad you said you actually liked Nico Collins. I actually like Nico Collins too. And like, I guess the good news is that he has experience making lemons uh, or making lemonade out of quarterback lemons. Maybe that's why they drafted him. But uh, 
yeah, not the approach the Houston Texans should have been taking in the draft. For we need we need to clip the Dagle rant uh, because he he could I could not have said it better myself. Oh yeah, yeah, that thing's gonna get ten thousand retweets. <laughs> uh, Denny, I do have a question though because like the one player, literally the one, would be Brandon Cooks. But is that even worth it in fantasy? Man, I, I, every time I see Brandon Cooks pop up in uh, in best ball drafts, I just breeze right past. I, I okay. don't. Oh wow, I, I'm shy. Well, that's because you're too busy drafting every single Texans running back. Just admit it. Um, yeah, right. I, I end up with 11 Houston running backs. No, uh, 100% Mark Ingram exposure. <laughs> God, gotta have some Philip Lindsay so, too. So mean. Uh, yeah, uh, John's you know right about everything. Obviously, I, as as someone who has never watched every pick of an NFL draft, and I had the honor of doing that this year, <laughs> almost didn't make it. I almost, almost, didn't make it. almost ended up in the hospital <laughs> <laughs> with a brain injury. After the sixth round, yeah, you were having uh, <laughs> something going on, some abnormalities. Yeah, and that, that was a new experience for me. I kept thinking, where are the Texans? Why are the Texans not making picks? How is a team that has zero talent, the, the, the least talent of any roster in the league, hands down, how are they not making picks? This is not how it's supposed to work. This is a double whammy in the worst sense that you you don't have picks, you don't have players, you don't have anybody, you don't have anything. There's no hope. There's no hope for the Texans and, and this year, next year, 10 years from now. Damn. Brutal. That was good too. No. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> One of my only notes for the Texans, by the way, just said tight end, lol. Uh, we're discussing <laughs> the draft picks. Uh, wasn't really a position of need. All right. That does it for our list of 10 fantasy losers. One very large real life loser, as Daigle pointed out. What are you guys working on on the site? Going to get some dynasty rookie rankings up. Hopefully, by the time you're listening to this podcast, they are live on the site and uh, getting our dynasty rankings. As my children uh, do something above me, that sounds <laughs> very, very dangerous. Sounds fun. Uh, my gra- draft grades <clears throat> are up. Please don't allow them to have a 48 hour shelf life because they took far too long to write. <laughs> and then uh, Monday through Thursday next week, it will be updated best ball tiers. I wrote a piece. You won't believe this, but I wrote a piece on which backfields to target <laughs> for zero RB purposes this year. And, and I, and, but I have, a, I have a lot of stuff. There's lots of little, little, little bits of information. I think that you could pull that will, that will stay evergreen. So we're, we're looking at backfields more broadly right now. And I, I, I enjoyed writing it. It's on the site. I yeah, feel like been, you've written that same piece nine times this off season. It's totally different. You have no idea. I I, I use several different words than I did another. Piece and you're, update, you're updating your zero RB best ball tiers. Go ahead, I, Pat. I did. Yes, I already did that. Yep. I was just say as much as I want to needle Denny about the zero RB upside, it has been high quality content. Thank you. And I just want to promote Week 17 waiver wired from last season. <laughs> Check it out. Yeah. Check, Check it out. It's funny Spoiler you mentioned alert. that. I thought I was the only one. I've been reading it every week. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a beaut. It was a beaut. <laughs> Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week.